0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward shall be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And her mother in law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother in law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter in law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And until they finished all my harvest, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you may go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted.
1: Thank you, Priscilla. Good morning again. I'm glad that y'all are here with us together. We're continuing in our study of Ruth. Last week we talked about how these two godly women have experienced this horrific tragedy. Uh, Basically, Naomi has lost her husband and she's lost two sons. And they're poor and they have no way to provide for themselves. And so Naomi goes back to Israel, kind of hopeless. And Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. Your, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Meaning, I'm going to make my life harder so that your life is better. And we talked about the way that these two godly women loved each other. Naomi was willing to let Ruth go, and yet Ruth was willing to cling to Naomi. And we learned about the sacrificial love found in those relationships. This morning we talk uh, a cu- about a couple of things. We're going to talk about how uh, God works in small things to talk about how godly people are supposed to feel to outsiders. And we're going to talk about how a godly person can change everything. So as we turn our attention to this, I want to pray and I want to ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. So would you please pray with me? on me a sinner. I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit and I ask that you would pour yourself out on your people. that those who are in this room and are so discouraged about their sin, so beaten down and figured there's there's no hope for them, would you fill them with hope? For those who are lonely and left out, I pray that you would cause them to feel loved and accepted and welcomed. For those who are experiencing pain, would you comfort them with the reality that you're the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. God, if I just stand up here and talk, nothing will happen. And so we beg that you would move by your Holy Spirit in the hearts of your people as you do so often. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen about seven years ago, I was serving as a pastor in Houston, Texas, and Aaron and I had enjoyed our time in Houston. It was a great call, and it had been a sweet place for us to live. We had moved there when Knox was six years old, and then we added Cormac to our family, and we loved the people of Texas. Uh, But I was looking for a new job at that point seven years ago, and I was sort of looking for a different call, a fresh challenge. i I wanted to go back to Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church was where I served as a volunteer, and then I served as an intern under Joe Novinson. and I had always wanted to go back there. In fact, I almost got to go there right after seminary, but they couldn't quite get a job offer together in time for us when we needed medical bill, excuse me, medical insurance, and so we just narrowly missed each other, and we were both sad about it. So fast forward from that point to three and a half years later, and I'm looking for another job. And I'm kind of wondering what will be next? What kind of calling will be next? Where in the country will we go? And I'm a little overwhelmed. And so I call Joe Novinson, who's an old mentor of mine, and he's a pastor at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. And I tell him about how we're looking for a new call and about how we don't know what's next and we don't know where we should move. And Joe listened to me and he loved me. And he said, Jared, I know God is going to take care of you. And he said, and you know what? Just last night, the session of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church voted unanimously to open another pastoral position at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. And I said, you got to be kidding. Just last night, I called my mentor, sort of begging for guidance and wisdom about where I should go. And the night before he has a meeting in which his church is opening up a pastoral position, I said, you've got to be kidding me. Now to me, it was just a normal phone call. I was just picking up the phone in confusion and, and picking up the phone and not knowing what's next. And I pick up the phone and I call somebody and I have no idea what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, I'm on the line with somebody who can help me, who can give me a job. The reason that I tell you that small, small story is that is part of the story that has led me here to you. A phone call while I was walking around Walmart, talking to a pastor about a different calling. He instead invites me to take a job here and then six years later, plants us down here on the south side. It is tempting to think that the huge moments in your life will be what lead you through. That life is this huge question mark, but the huge moments, those are the things where you will see God work and God move. And this story is the opposite of that. This story gives us a picture that God works in little things, in mundane things, but he's no less sovereign over our life and our world. The day I call my mentor, the night before, they open a job. Ruth happens to get out of bed and decide to go to work, and she just happens to find herself in Boaz's field. The only person in the entire world who can redeem her story because he is a blood relative, not of Ruth, but of Naomi. He's wealthy enough to take on the financial burden of it would be to have these two women at that time in his home to care for them. And Ruth reads like this. It it reads small in the details as if you're, you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. You see, we all struggle to understand what God is up to. But because of who Jesus is, we can find rest in Him. First of all, I want to explain to you God's power in small things. God's power in small things. Look with me through verses 1 through 3. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she sent out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I know it; could, you could just barely miss it, but what the author's doing, and he's saying, and it just happens that this woman goes and accidentally finds herself gleaning in the field of the only person on planet Earth that can help her. We saw a little bit of this in chapter 1, verse 22. It said, It Naomi." happened to return from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, and happened to be arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. You're seeing these, what looks like chance, these circumstances, sort of start to unravel and show us what God is really doing. It just happened to be in Boaz's field. In other words, if you translate that phrase specifically in verse 3, It says this. It says the word chance twice. It says, as luck would have it, she chanced upon the field. As luck would have it, she chanced upon the field. I want to show you one other cool thing here in the text. They keep saying the man's name Elimelech, right? Elimelech. Well, Elimelech is passed away in a different country. We already covered that in chapter 1. Why in chapter 2 is he bringing it back up and bringing it back up? Because do you know what Elimelech's name means? My God is king. My God is king. And so the author is just hinting at us. My God is king. So listen to me read it this way. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a man worthy of the clan of my God is king, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. So she went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of my God is king. You see it? The author is trying to say that in the small details of life which go overlooked, God is meeting your needs and he's caring for you. You see, Ruth's whole world is broken. There's sadness. There's death. There's infertility. There's financial strain. And yet God is moving in the background through the details to bring good to his people. though Ruth is hurting, and even though these things seem mundane, God is proving that he is still king over Ruth and Naomi. Let me give you another example of small things like this. I think it was about four years ago, uh, I got the opportunity to go and sit in the hospital. Part of my job is to sit with people and pray for them in their difficult circumstances, and one of the difficult circumstances often comes up as a hospital. Because people are overwhelmed and they're stressed and it's a lot to handle and it's a lot of fear. And so I had the opportunity to go to minister one of the Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church congregants. In fact, he was on staff. And I went and I sat with his wife and I sat with his mother-in-law, Mary Lou. And I went and sat and we spent like six or eight hours all day while Ben Hooper was treated with chemo. Just, just a pastoral visit. Just going to Erlanger like I normally do. And all of a sudden, God is in the background doing things that I couldn't possibly know that he was going to plan. That Ben and I would talk to each other that day. That he would feel ministered to. That we would begin a friendship. That we would plant a church together. All from me going to Erlanger for a pastoral visit. God has so aligned our stories that we dress alike on accident if, we, if we're not careful you look at Ben, he is wearing the shirt I wore last Sunday. He said he had confidence to do it because he knew I wouldn't wear the same shirt two weeks in a row. Because I went to Erlanger for a pastoral visit. You see? You see how it's in these small things. These small things where God is moving to shape your story. I want you to see that. And here's why I want you to be encouraged by this, friends. I really want you to hear this. Ruth can't see it. Ruth has no idea. Naomi can't see it. She has no idea. Boaz can't see it. He has no idea. I couldn't see it when I was on the phone with Joe. I didn't know. I couldn't see it when I was ministering to Ben and to his family. And whatever it is that you're facing right now, even though God is working to provide and encourage you, sometimes you just won't see it. And that's okay. Ruth has no idea that God is about to change her life and the course of human history forever. And she has no idea. She just can't see it. Have you muttered to yourself as you were falling asleep? God, I know that you're in control and I know that you love me, but I just, I just can't see it. Well, this text is to remind us that God works even when we can't see it. Even when it seems mundane. Even when it seems out of control or happenstance or circumstance. God is moving even when you can't see it. Are you in a place of devastation? And you just can't see how there's any good that's going to come left in your story. God moves in the mundane to bring healing to His people. When you've lost so much, don't lose hope. We're looking for God to change everything in a big and dramatic move, but sometimes God changes everything by when your sons and your husband die. A Moabite woman says, I'll walk with you, I'll go where you go. The story of Ruth is one where God uses small things to bring Powerful change and transformation. When you are discouraged and you can't see it, be encouraged that God still sees you. God still sees a foreigner, Ramoabite woman with no rights, and God still sees her. But Ruth does act, she does something to move. You see? Look with me again And 2. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after in him in whose sight I shall find favor. Naomi could have gone too. But she's so beaten down. She's so lowly. She's had three catastrophic losses. And Ruth knows that. And so she says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go find something to do. I'm going to go try and bring some help and healing. I'm going to try and keep walking and not be knocked down. And I want to point that out to you just quickly because when we are discouraged, when we are knocked down, when we are depressed, as I struggle with depression, the main thing we can feel like is we just need to sit, we just need to be. But Ruth shows initiative and she says, I'm just going to go do something. We can end up sitting around Hoping against hope that something happens while we're ignoring his call to be near other people. Kevin DeYoung says in his book, Just Do Something, it's a book about whether or not to how to know you can find God's will, and he says this. So go marry someone, provided you're equally yoked and you actually like being with each other. Go get a job, provided it's not wicked. Go live somewhere in something with somebody or nobody. But put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and the preoccupation with the future. And for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait for the liver shiver, he calls it. If you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. It's what Ruth is doing ultimately. She doesn't know how to provide for them financially. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She don't know. She doesn't know how she's going to be treated, but she gets up and she goes and does something. Friends, we often think God's will is 40,000 feet away from us behind a dark curtain. And if we guess and we pray and we think and we reflect, we might be able to get a glimmer of it. Friends, God's will for your life is six inches in front of your face. God's will for your life is rolling out of bed when you feel like not rolling out of bed. I'm not talking about introvert extrovert of course dif- people need different amounts of rest and recharge what i'm talking about is that ruth steps up works all day she has no idea what's happening she just knows she has to be present so we see god working in the background in the mundane we see god actually working through what ruth does herself which is get up and go That God moves to care for his people That it's in small things That it's in our own simple Actions that God is still In control and that God will still still Move to bless you We see God's Power in the mundane We also see God's provision through his people God's provision through his people Would you look with me again in verses 8 through 12 then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink. and The young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see God's power work through small things. Like whose field you happen through the actions that you take to just keep moving. But we also see His provision through His people. And I really want you to see the beauty of this. These women have no standing. Some Moabite women, you see that in the text it says that she's in danger twice just from being a Moabite single woman in that that culture. They don't own anything. They're down on their luck. And yet God provides through His people It's the law. What Ruth is doing here is she's going to go glean. She knew that she could do that because what they knew of the people in Israel is that their God demanded that they left room for the marginalized, the forgotten, the overlooked. God provides through his people in in situations like this. Listen to this verse. I want you to hear how often throughout Scripture God is saying, go find the looked over. Go find the least, the lost, the lonely, the little. Go and find them, and you be their blessing. You be their blanket. You be their protection. Listen to this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Isaiah 1. Learn to do what is right and seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. James 1.27 is this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself being polluted from the world. What I'm trying to explain to you is that God wanted his people to feel safe, and just, and generous to the outside world. Let me ask you, is that how Christianity is viewed? That if I'm hurting, or I'm small, or I'm confused, or I'm making mistakes, I should go and get myself near the Christians. I'll really be safe there. Friends, I don't think that's our reputation. God wanted us to be a a refuge For the overlooked. For the marginalized. For the ones who make mistakes. He wanted us to be a refuge. And instead of being a refuge, we're seen as someone that will come and hurt you if you get near us. We see the overseer knows that he's supposed to let her glean in the field. We see Boaz knows that he wants to glean in the field. He actually takes more steps. Are we the kind of church that people with no standing No promise, no prospects would know they were safe in this room. That is my hope and prayer for us. If we do anything, that's what I want us to do. I've used this movie, The Greatest Showman. It's Hugh Jackman. And even if you don't like musicals, um, you should go and see The Greatest Showman. Uh, And just picture me that I walk around my house singing Greatest Showman songs all the time. And that will help you to connect with the movie anyway. But... One of the things he's doing, P.T. Barnum, and apparently in real life he wasn't quite as kind, but I'm talking about the movie version. He wants to gather up all the people, the bearded women, the dwarves as they're called in the movie, the little people, the people who are curious. And he hangs signs everywhere with his daughters that says, unique persons with curiosity. He goes to the woman with the beard, and she's all of a sudden humiliated because... He pulls across the sheet because she's folding clothes and all of a sudden he can see her beard and she kind of turns her face away ashamed of who she is. And Barnum's daughter looks the bearded woman in the eye as if to say, you are safe now with us. Friends, could you imagine that we could be the kind of church that whoever felt ostracized, whoever felt addicted, whoever felt broken would feel safe with us. as Ruth and Naomi are safe with the people of God in Israel. You see that God's power worked through small things and mundane things, even our own actions. You see God's provision through the people of God that we're supposed to be a kind of people that other people want to be near. And lastly, I want you to see this, God's protection through a person. God's protection through a person. Look at verse 8, and then we're going to jump to 19 and 22. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. Keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the men have drawn. And then jump down with me in 19 through 22. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother in law whom she had worked. The man's name whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter in law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our Redeemers. You shall keep close by young men until they have finished. Besides, he also said to me, You shall keep close by young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter in law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So God works powerfully through the mundane and through our own actions of just getting up and doing something. God provides for people by getting them near his people. And God shows protection to Ruth through one person, Boaz. Two times in this verse, two times in this, it says she could be assaulted. Meaning, she's this young widow, Scripture talks about her as if she's beautiful, she's going to get noticed, all these men are working in the fields, she doesn't have a husband, she's not even an Israelite. And unfortunately, things were so broken in that culture that her mother-in-law and Boaz both know that this girl's in danger, physical, sexual danger. Two times it's noted that she could be in danger of assault. She has nothing. And I want to show you this really quickly. These are all the people ahead of Ruth in the line of safety in the culture. These are all the people. I'm going to hit them quick. King or a judge, tribal leader, clan leader, sub-clan leader, older father, father, eldest son, son, wife, daughter, male servant, female servant female servant, lower class, resident alien, male foreigner, and number 16 on the list, female foreigner. This woman has no rights. She is no one. And yet this godly man says, I'll protect you. He says it in five different ways. Boom, boom, boom. I will protect you. Your problems are now my problems. The whole point of the book is it would be easy for us to think that God has not seen Ruth, and yet He's taken her to this place. He's made her a believer. He has brought her to this family where she'll now be provided for financially. In fact, ultimately, she will marry this man. God continues to provide in the small and the mundane. He continues to pursue and protect. It would be easy for think Ruth to think that God doesn't see her, that no one sees her. She's an outsider in Israel. She looks different. She doesn't have enough food to eat. But she doesn't allow her heart to think she's been forgotten. She gets up and goes. And God leads her right to the field of Boaz who has money, who has character, and has the desire to protect her. Friends, the reason that I show you that is that God works in power in the background, that God works providing for others by the kind of people that we're supposed to be. God also works to protect. sometimes through a specific person. Boaz is called a kinsman redeemer. I know the whole idea is a little bit weird in the text because we don't have this kind of form of marriage, but essentially what it's saying is is that Elimelech is dead, okay? Elimelech's dead, and he didn't have any grandsons. So Elimelech's line is going to die out. Back then, that was a huge deal. Still a big deal now. His line is going to die out. It's going to pass. All his land and properties will go to other things. Elimelech's going to die out. But because he has this widow, and the widow has two mothers-in-laws, they sons. There's no sons for the family to move on. And so basically they're destitute. There's no one in that culture. It had to be a man, unfortunately, in that culture. There's no one who could step up and take provision and protection for the family. And yet they end up moving around in the field of the one guy who's related to Naomi so that he can be her kinsman redeemer. Now, it doesn't mean incest. It means somebody who is related to the family through law and could redeem. He could marry Ruth, and we're going to talk about that later. And in taking on Ruth, he takes on Naomi's and Ruth's problems. In fact, even when they have children, that baby will still be in the line of Elimelech, not Boaz. So this is a godly man who's taking on other people's problems. A godly man who's bringing protection. And Boaz points us to a greater godly man in Christ. A greater godly man who looks at you in your hurt and in your sin and in your loneliness and says, I will take care of you. I will meet your needs through the small things. I will meet your needs through the big things. I will meet your needs through your actions. He says, I'm going to provide through the whole world from this people because they're going to be good To be around, and he says, ultimately, I'm going to protect you because I'm going to send a greater Boaz, Jesus. And Jesus is going to look at you and say, Your problems are now my problems. And my rewards are now your rewards. Boaz is a picture of what we have, and Jesus is ultimately one who would love us and move and provide and protect for us. Do you know that, Jesus? One who would meet your needs in small and hidden things. One who would provide for you and love you again and again. One who would protect you from yourself, from the world, from Satan. Do you know that, Jesus? We'll close here. One of my favorite preachers is Alex Watlington. He's an RUF pastor. And he recently used this story of Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain is now passed away. He's a world traveler, a thoughtful person, into high, high food and cuisine. In fact, one article says this For all his world travels, parts unknown star Anthony Bourdain had never been to a Waffle House until recently. So, high food, and he he tells a friend he's never been to Waffle House. What's that? And the food says, we're, friend says, we're going right now. So he takes this globally known food expert into Waffle House. And he was introduced to the golden lit southern culinary Mecca. Who said he was loved going to the Waffle House as a kid because he watched the cooks make the food in front of him. The restaurant appears to have left its mark on Bourdain as he so eloquently describes the Waffle House in the introduction to the video, it is indeed marvelous. An irony-free zone where everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. Where everybody, regardless of race, creed, color, or degree of inebriation, is welcomed. It's warm yellow glow, a beacon of hope and salvation, inviting the hungry, the lost, the seriously hammered, the south, to come inside a place of safety and nourishment. It never closes. It's always faithful, and it's always there for you. Friends, what if they could say that about us? Regardless of creed, or color, or race, or struggle, or sin pattern, that we will always be open for always be there for you. As God shows His providence and His provision for these people, He shows it in our lives too. Would God let it be true that we would be like Waffle House? Always there for you. Always faithful. Let's be that kind So busy looking at the big things in our lives that we miss the little ways that you're still showing care and concern for us. Would you make us into the kind of church that provides for those who are overlooked and lost and little? Would you deepen our love for Jesus, our protector and our provider? And would you make us into the kind of people of God that's always open for the outsider? Make it so We want to do something different here. And we'll mess it up if you don't do it. So make it so by your Holy Spirit and plant it on your people's hearts that things are going to be different here. That the more messed up the story, the more welcome they are. The more burdened by pain, the more we're going to put our arms around them. Would you make us to be the kind of people that you've always wanted us to be? It's in Jesus' name that we